We're on page 260 of the Church Bibles, and we're reading from 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's read together. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, of Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And David paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your father's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Please keep your Bibles open. Great, thanks for that, Rob. It's not the easiest reading, is it? Mephibosheth. It's not a name you want to say five times fast in a row. Um, It's a privilege to be here preaching. Thank you, Mike, for inviting me. And it's a funny old story that we've got today, isn't it? Um, You've got this weirdly named guy, Mephibosheth. And he comes, and there's a bit of talking uh, about land and food and servants and kindness. And then the story's over. Now, if, if you've been here for the last, last few weeks in the story of Samuel, you'll know that David's life generally tends to be pretty exciting, doesn't it? He's uh, killed sort of giant men, um, Goliath, remember him? Uh, he's hidden in caves from murderous kings. He's had to act mad to escape execution. He's chased bandits and stormed cities. Uh, he's got direct promises from God. It, it tends to be like quite high-octane stuff. And if you look ahead at the story, well, there's all sorts of stuff going to go down soon. Um, war, international politics, adultery, murder, rape, mass murder, treachery. 
but also heroism and loyalty. The, the next few chapters are stuffed with stuff. And you might be forgiven for thinking, this is just sort of a boring little interlude, really, isn't it? Chapter 9, what are we going to get out of this? Um, let's get back to the good stuff. But I'd like to say this chapter is a gem. And if we get hold of what it has for us, well, it's got precious truth for us to feed on. See, the chapter is all about security. Mephibosheth starts the chapter a nobody fearing for his life. And he ends the chapter completely secure, eating at the king's table. And security is quite a big deal, isn't it? It's an important thing, because we live in an insecure world. How can I be safe from big-scale terrorist attacks, smaller-scale burglary or mugging? But that's not very small-scale, is it? Um, How can I have a secure pension and retirement? How can I be safe in my relationships from betrayal, from family members turning on me? How can I be safe from disease, from car crashes, from death? Those, Those are questions which take up people's time and thoughts and emotions and energy, don't they? We live in a world which has all these things it wants to hold on to, but can't actually guarantee a single one of them. So when the Bible talks to me about security, then I want to listen to it. So let's uh, have a look. Before we dive in, there is a word that I want to mention. Um, Some of you might have heard it before. If you're new here, um, you probably won't have done, I guess. The word's covenant. Covenant. I don't know how much Mike talks about that, but it's key to this chapter. A covenant is a promise, but it's kind of like a promise maxed out. Um, A covenant is a promise which is a deal between two people that's lifelong and defines their relationship. So marriage is a covenant. I mean, sometimes it gets broken, doesn't it? But it's meant to be a set of promises which, between two people, are lifelong, define their relationship. Now, a couple of chapters ago, we saw God make a covenant with David. Remember that amazing promise he makes him? That's a lifelong, um, sort of de- actually longer than lifelong, it's sort of through his descendants, through all history, um, kind of thing. A, a deal that God makes with David. And if you're a Christian... We'll see in a bit. God's made a covenant with you. Um, And we'll see in a second that this story is actually all about covenant, even though the word doesn't appear in it. Uh, But anyway, let's let's have a look at the story. Um, I've called the first half of it uh, Covenant Kindness That's Undeserved. If you want to, whoever's clicking, if you want to click, let's have that up. Uh, So we start with um, David. That's the the other way around. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Um, but let's have, let's have both of them up. We can have them up the whole time. It's not a problem. Click again. Great. Now you know what my second point is, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, covenant kindness that's undeserved. Start with David, and he's sitting on his throne. Right? He's been king for a little while now. Stuff's secure. And he remembers Saul. Saul was king before David. Saul hated David. Saul made David's life miserable. Saul tried to kill David. But now Saul is dead. And most of his family are dead as well. And David's thinking to himself, I wonder if any of them are left. So they call in the guy who used to be Saul's butler or something, a chap called Ziba. Ziba comes in and he, I guess he's probably bowing and scraping. Uh, you know, it's a bit scary, isn't it? It's being called in um, to see the king when you used to serve his big enemy. Um, are you Ziba? Yes, I'm your servant, says Ziba. <laughs> your servant, not Saul's servant anymore. Definitely not, no, sir. Ever so glad that you're the king, David, sir. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 
And David asked Ziba, is there still anyone left of Saul's family? And he says something about showing kindness to them. Now let's just imagine how you'd hear that. See, back in those days, the standard practice when you became king was to secure your throne by killing off all your rivals. Right? Children and grandchildren of the old king, they all had to go. Extermination was the name of the game. You know, the Daleks would have made good Old Testament kings. Um, <laughs> thanks, Mike. Um, now, <laughs> the fact that David has a load of chat about kindness, that's just words, isn't it? At this point, that doesn't count for anything. You know, here's a secret. Politicians lie sometimes. Um, and, and so, it ha- yeah, it has been known to happen, hasn't it? Um, so you might, you might remember that gory little bit of um, the Christmas story. Herod says to the wise men, they've come, they're looking for this king. Herod says to them, when you find him, do let me know where he is. I'd love to go and worship him myself. What he means is, when you find him, do let me know where he is. I'd love to go and kill him. Right? Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. Um, but my guess is, when Ziba, when Ziba hears David say, are there any of Saul's people left so that I can show God's kind, kindness to them? He thinks in his head, are there any of Saul's people left so that I can go and kill them? But anyway, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hesitate. Yes, he says. Um, there is one guy, Jonathan's son. He's crippled, and I can give you his address. <laughs> and he does, straight away. And so David sends off his people to Lodabar. And uh, it doesn't tell us what happens at Lodabar, but let's just picture the scene. The family are sitting down to eat. And there's a knock at the door. And Machia, head of the household, goes to answer it. Hello, sir, said the people at the door. Hello, how can I help, says Machia. Are you Machia, son of Amiel? Yeah, that's me. Well, we're here to see Mephibosheth. Oh, great, come in. He doesn't get that many visitors. Nice, you could come. And they come in. Are you Mephibosheth, they say. Mephibosheth smiles at them. Yeah, that's me. I'm sorry um, that I'm not standing up. You see, my, my feet don't work. And then they say, Mephibosheth, the king would like to see you. You'll need to come with us. And the whole room goes quiet. And the colour drains out of Mephibosheth's face. And one of the kids starts to cry. Because they'd all hoped that that knock at the door would never come. And that he could live out his days unnoticed. But he's got to go. And so they go to Jerusalem. And they arrive at Jerusalem. I guess Mephibosheth's being carried. He can't walk. They get to the palace. People bring him, go, it's Mephibosheth, he's here to see the king. And the doors open, and in they go. And in they go to the throne room. And there in front of him, Mephibosheth sees David in his royal robes, on his royal throne. And with great pain, I imagine, he gets down onto his paralyzed legs and falls on his face in front of the king in front of the man he thinks will kill him. Mephibosheth, says David. Behold, I'm your servant, says Mephibosheth. And he's terrified. He's trembling with fear. You can tell that, can't you? Because the next thing David says to him is, do not fear. It's obviously the most urgent thing he needed to hear. But let's just pause the story before Mephibosheth hears that. As he's on the floor, trembling with fear in front of the person who should kill him, What are we meant to learn from this? 
See, the whole Bible's written for us, isn't it? For our instruction to teach us about God and about ourselves. What are we meant to learn from this story? And here's the thing we need to see if we're going to learn anything from it. We're like Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is rightly terrified in front of the king. See, he knows that by birth he's David's enemy. He knows that he can expect to die at this point. And that is us. So key to get this. Actually, we're in an even worse position than him. See, like him, we've been born enemies of the king. Uh, the, the whole human race is in rebellion against God. Ever since the first humans, Adam and Eve, we've rejected God and broken his rules. we tried to replace him with other gods that we've invented or, or with ourselves or with nothing. Uh, we've trashed the world that he made and we've hurt the people he's made and loves over and over again. We're rebels. Now, we've been born into that. But actually, worse than Mephibosheth, we've taken hold of it as well. We've not just been born into it, but we've acted it out. We've joined in the rebellion. We've taken up our weapons against God. We've hurt the people he loves. We've trashed the world that he made. We've said no to him. And we deserve to die. And the Bible is very clear on that. It says over and over again, God is a king, a mighty king, a good and just king. And he won't, and he shouldn't, let evil go. So in the end, we'll face him. And on our own account, we should die. The Bible speaks clearly of God's anger at evil. Not a a blowing up, out of control anger. No, it's much scarier than that. It's a completely controlled, completely reasonable anger directed at us. It is a fearful thing to face the living God. People often assume, don't they, because the Bible says God is love, that means he's a big, cuddly Santa Claus and that his motto must be forgive and forget. But actually, if he's loving... That can't be his motto. Think about some of the things which people have done to you. If God loves you, forgive and forget wouldn't be a loving thing for him to say to them. No, because God is love, actually, he's never going to sweep evil under the carpet. And so the Bible says that the correct attitude to God for every human being is fear. And if we won't fear him now, then one day, when we face him, we'll wish we had. So as we look at Mephibosheth trembling on the floor, I hope you can see yourself, and all of us, myself as well, trembling before the king, waiting to die. And then David says, verse 7, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And Mephibosheth, he lifts his head in amazement. Verse 8, and he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So the key question is, that question, what is your servant? Why does David treat Mephibosheth with such kindness? And the answer is covenant. David says it's for the sake 
of your father Jonathan. So we need a little bit of backstory. Um, Mephibosheth's grandfather was Saul, remember? A nasty piece of work, David's enemy. But Saul's son Jonathan was Mephibosheth's father, and he was David's close friend. Jonathan was crown prince in line for the throne, but he knew that God had picked David as the next king, and he didn't mind. Instead, he got right behind David and said, I'm with you. And in 1 Samuel 20, we get a really key story. David and Jonathan make a covenant. Lifelong promises that will define their relationship. And in particular, David promises Jonathan that he'll never take his kindness away from Jonathan's family. Even after Jonathan's died, he's promised. Now David follows the God who keeps his promises. And so David keeps his promises. You know, 15 years after he made that promise, 15 or 20 years, this is where we're at now. Jonathan's died a long time ago. David could break that promise. And probably no human being would even know that it had been made. But David knows it's been made. And God knows it's been made. David's in a covenant. And so he keeps his promise. So when Mephibosheth comes in, do you see there in verse verse 6 how it describes him? Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. He's the son of Saul. He should die. But he's the son of Jonathan. And so he's completely safe. And David's descendant, King Jesus, is another king who's made a covenant. The Bible says it all the time. Jesus has made a covenant with us. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus. He said, anyone who comes to me, I'll never turn away. Didn't you remember at the Last Supper, as he's handing around the wine, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which I'm making with you in my, in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. He's made that covenant with clear words. He's sealed it with his blood so that we know it's been made. Jesus has died, in other words, so that anyone who comes to him will never be turned away. So if we go to him, we'll never be turned away. It's that simple, isn't it? How, think about Mephib- Mephibosheth. It's a terrible name. Um, think about Mephibosheth. How secure is he? He is very, very secure. Sure, I mean, if, if he actually sort of, I don't know, tries to assassinate David or something, he'll probably, probably get the chop at that point. But his security basically doesn't rest on him, does it? And I guess there'd probably be a bunch of stuff about Mephibosheth which wouldn't be that attractive. I mean, for one thing, he's a, he's a cripple, which isn't the sort of person kings normally have at, at their court table. But much more than that, he's Saul's grandson. As David looks at him, he'll see in the lines of his face, Saul's face. As he listens to his voice, he'll hear Saul's accent. He'll probably see Saul's mannerisms in the way Mephibosheth talks and acts. There'll be plenty of stuff about Mephibosheth which David could, could very easily hate. Does that make Mephibosheth insecure at David's table? No. Because his security, his position, has nothing to do with what he's done. He hasn't done anything. It's all to do with David's promise. And our security is like that. If we've come to Jesus, we'll find all sorts of reminders of the old us in our life, just like Saul's face and accent in Mephibosheth. Continued selfishness, continued sin. Now, if we think that God accepts us because we've somehow become nice people when we became Christians, 
we'll be deeply insecure, won't we? Every time I see the old self in me, I'll go, wow, maybe I'm not really a Christian at all. But if I know that God accepts me because of the covenant, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done, well, how secure I am. How, how could I ever be taken away from him or shaken? Because in the final analysis, it doesn't depend on me, right? It depends on the God who keeps his promises, on God's son who died so that I could live. It's like Paul says at the end of Romans, probably know these words, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's security, isn't it? The security of covenant, completely undeserved and completely solid. Covenant kindness is undeserved. But let's have a look at the second half of the story. Covenant kindness is overflowing. Might help here to have a bit more backstory. How did Mephibosheth get crippled? It wasn't born crippled, it turns out. Well, it tells us in chapter 4. Yes, turn over if you don't want to. But, um, chapter 4 is a chapter all about Mephibosheth's uncle, Ishbosheth, who, when Saul and Jonathan die, tries to set himself up as king. And in the middle of that chapter all about Ishbosheth, we get verse 4. It's just a little side note about Mephibosheth. Let me read it. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son, this is Mephibosheth, who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. It's a tragic story, isn't it? He's five years old. The news comes in that his dad's died, and he's got to run for it. And as he, I mean, that's the worst day of his life already, but as he runs for it, he falls and he's paralyzed. But there's a question, isn't there, when you read that verse? Who's he running from? And I think when you read it and think about where the Bible writers put it, the answer is obvious. He's running from his uncle. The news has just come in that Saul and Jonathan have died, and Jonathan's younger brother is like, well, now's my time to be king. But there's only one problem. Mephibosheth. He's the one in line. And so if Ishbosheth is going to be king... Well, you can measure Mephibosheth's life expectancy in minutes. So Mephibosheth's life up to this point, up to chapter 9, has been a life where his own family, his own people, those who are naturally his, they've turned on him. And they've caused him all his agony and fear and loss. The ones who should have cared for him have only hurt him. But the one who should be his enemy, he's poured out kindness on him. Back in, cha- back in chapter 9, in verse 7, David makes a couple of promises to him, basically. He says, A, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. That's provision. And B, you shall eat at my table always. And the rest of the chapter that we haven't looked at yet is basically just showing David doing those things. David keeping those promises. So David calls in this guy Zeba again, who had been Saul's servant, and says, Zeba, you're back on duty. Your master's right here. 
Mephibosheth. And Ziba says, whatever you say, my lord. And he serves Mephibosheth. Now, at the end of um, verse 10, you'll see a little aside about Ziba. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now, that tells you something. It tells you that he's rich. Right? You can't sustain 15 sons and 20 servants unless you've got a lot of dosh. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not particularly unusual. You'd expect the, the sort of the main servant of a king probably to be quite rich. But what it's saying is when, when David says to Mephibosheth, Zeba's going to serve you and all his sons and all his servants. He's not giving Mephibosheth the keys to the garden shed. He's making him rich. He's providing for him and for his whole family for life. And he doesn't just get Zeba, he gets all the land, which Saul had owned as well. He's set up, right? David could have gone, I promised Jonathan that I was going to be kind uh, to his descendants. I guess kindness probably means not killing them. And he could have just been like, okay, I've heard about Mephibosheth, I'll just leave him be. That's keeping my promise. He doesn't do that, does he? He calls Mephibosheth in and lavishes goodness on him and sets him up. Mephibosheth has spent his life um, as a runaway, living in another man's house. But now he's the master again. So there's, that's A, long-term provision. But there's also B, and I think it wants us to get this even more. It says that four, four times, Mephibosheth eats at the king's table. Verse 11 says even more strongly, end of verse 11, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And he lives in Jerusalem, says verse 13, because he always ate at the king's table. Every day he's there. Now that is not just provision. It's not just giving Mephibosheth good things. That is honor and relationship. Eating at the king's table, that means being the king's friend. David wants to see Mephibosheth every day, wants to talk to him, wants to eat with him. He wants him to be a part of his life. And uh, do you see that kindness doesn't just extend to him? Just gives you the little note there. Mephibosheth had a young son called Micah. It doesn't take much imagination to think how that little boy's life is going to be turned completely upside down by the kindness that David has shown his father. See, David's kindness has taken Mephibosheth and completely transformed him. There is no bit of his life which is unchanged by this. David's kindness will seep in to every part of it. Mephibosheth eats at the king's table. See, when David promised Jonathan that he was going to be kind to his family, he wasn't messing around. See, there you go. Natural family of Mephibosheth. They rip his life apart and cause him endless agony. Natural enemy of Mephibosheth brings him in and cares for him and shows him covenant kindness that will last his whole life. That's a strange story, isn't it? It's a weird way around. But if we're Christians, that's our story. After all, our natural home, our natural family is this world, isn't it? With all that this world offers. Money and pleasure and friendship and family and appearance and houses and reputation and entertainment. And people build their lives on those things, don't they? That's what people are after. But in the end, this world is not our friend. 
And we see that all the time, don't we? People uh, pour their heart into their family and end up divorced or bereaved or rejected by their children. People pour their lives into work and need to be let go. People cling to beauty and discover that ageing is inevitable. People try and build up their reputation and it's undone by one bit of slander. Friends betray, thieves steal, ambitions fizzle out. Even food and drink and films lose their savour. In the end, even the people who seem in this life to have everything all the way through, they lose it all too. When they die, they don't take it with them. This world is not your friend. We naturally belong to it. There's part of us which wants to live in it. But it will destroy us if it can. But there is another, Jesus Christ, not from this world, who should be our enemy. But if we go to him, he'll pour out goodness on us. Security. Even death can't take away the promise of life that a Christian has. Honour. A Christian gets a glory and a crown and a name that will last forever. Relationship. Jesus himself knows us, and we begin to know him, and one day we'll see him face to face. We get to listen to his words. We get to speak to him. We get get to talk to the Lord of the universe and know that he's more eager to hear our prayers than we are to pray them. It's not because we're worthy. It's because he's made a covenant, and he's going to keep it. And actually, if you'd like an illustration of that, I mentioned the the Last Supper, where Jesus hands around the wine uh, just a moment ago. But think about what the Lord's Supper means for a Christian. Just a bit of it. Paul describes the Lord's Supper as eating at Jesus' table. Eating at the king's table. So next time you take the Lord's Supper, if you're a Christian, reflect on the privilege that that is. It's eating with Jesus at the table of the king. Like Mephibosheth, you should have been an enemy. But now you're being treated like the king's son. As you look around at the others eating, you realise that you're now a family with them. And those are relationships that will last forever and can't be taken away. And they're relationships not based on what you've done for each other, but based on the kindness that each of you has been shown. That's quite a blessing, isn't it? I think when when we eat that, we should go, what an amazing thing. And be stunned. So let me urge you, don't put your trust in this world. We all live in it, don't we? Some of us, like Mephibosheth, will have deep wounds from it. Mephibosheth is crippled to the end of his days. But if we're Christians, we don't belong to it anymore. And our security isn't here. It's in heaven with Jesus. If you're not a Christian... Can I say you at the moment don't have security in heaven. Your whole life is in this world, whatever you might think. But the offer is there. Jesus says anyone who comes to me will never be turned away. You can take hold of the covenant and enter it. So why not come to Jesus? You won't be turned away. And you'll find, as so many Christians have done, that he's full of kindness that lasts forever. Finally, let me say, if you're a Christian, praise God. Be amazed at what he's done for you. 
and where he's taking you from and thank him for it. Why not spend time reflecting on it and rejoicing? Verse 8 says, Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Well, we were worse off than Mephibosheth. And the kindness that we've been shown is even greater. Shouldn't we be more full of amazement and praise than he was? What do I pray? Father God, Lord of heaven and maker of all of us and the just judge, thank you so much for Jesus Christ who's covenanted with us and promised us life that we only deserve death and promised us relationship that we were your enemies and promised us honour that we should have had shame. Lord, please help us to trust him and not ourselves for all those things, to find our security in him. And please, Lord, lift up our minds to what you've done for us so that we will praise you. Amen. Amen. We just stay there for a sec. Uh, okay. I'll stop this tape going. Because we have time for some questions and a couple of quick ones, I think, before we... Move on.